Would you join me in going to the Lord in prayer at this time? Holy God, how great and majestic and glorious you are. It is our desire to honor you today, to please you both in heart and in deed. We ask that you forgive us. Forgive us for the many ways that we sin against you. Lord, we trust in our own logic and our own desires. We depend upon created things to fill our needs. In fact, we often turn them into idols. Lord, we look for them to make us content and glad in heart. Too often we say we love you while ignoring you. Too often we are fickle and selfish. I pray that in these moments that you would press into our souls your truth and your glory. Confront us in our sin. Convict us. Break us. Conform us to your image. Lord, we are nothing apart from you. We have no hope that does not come from You. We pray that You would deliver Your precious Word to the innermost parts of our being. That You would give us ears to hear, minds to learn, or then hands and feet that are eager to obey. Give us hearts that desire only You. I pray for the one that's here today who does not know You as Savior that today Your Spirit might do a regenerating work, draw them to You, change them. Lord, we pray that all of us may be challenged and filled by Your Spirit, that we might re-enter this world with a blazing hot passion for You. Advance Your kingdom through us as a church. You have strategically placed us here in this community. We ask that You would give us wisdom. You would help us to understand our calling, our election. Impart Your faithfulness in us that we might serve You here. That You might shake this community with Your gospel. We plead this for the sake of the community and for Your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we continue in the Psalms. And you know, if you read through the Psalms, and you were to come to Psalm 108, you would notice that there's some repetitiveness here. That it sounds a little like some other Psalms. Almost word for word, in fact, is the repetition. If you were to read Psalm 57... The latter half of it you would find in the first few verses of this psalm. And Psalm 60, the same way. Why would the Holy Spirit do this? Why would the Holy Spirit use the same passage, in essence, that have been used in other places? C.H. Spurgeon once said that the Holy Spirit is not so short of expression that He needs to repeat Himself. Yet, He often does. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times, using almost the same words each time. 
Paul repeated himself to the Philippians. He said in the third chapter, to write these things to you again, these same things is no trouble. To the Galatians he wrote, as we have said before, and now I say again. The Gospel of Mark almost in entirety is contained in the Gospel of Matthew, save for about 55 verses. Repeating things is an effective teaching tool. Those of you that are old enough to know how you used to learn by rote, stand up and recite things together in order to remember, to teach. It also helps us realize which things need emphasizing and why they may need emphasizing. So the Spirit has taken from two psalms and rearranged them in a way, not because He has run out of ideas, but because there's something new and fresh that He wants to bring to our hearts. Some believe that this psalm was written after the Babylonian captivity. So in other words, there was some scribe that was led by the Spirit, directed by the Lord, to take the psalms that are written by David in a previous time and rearrange them and rework them in a way that would speak to the people who were dealing with some of the same issues, but maybe in a slightly different context. So David is the writer, but a later arranger refreshed it. We see this happen all the time in our culture, do we not? Some song, some movie that you saw, experienced in the past, someone will take it today and reshape it, renew it, and release it again, and it makes someone a lot of money using what someone else has put together. So that's sort of what's going on in this 108th Psalm. I think there are basically three thoughts here that will help us understand the essence of the psalm, what David, the writer, what the Holy Spirit wants us to know and understand from it. The first one is that we need this idea implanted in us that we need to change the song in our hearts. Change the song in our hearts. You ever get one of those annoying songs stuck in your head? Yeah, Craig says yes. Out there on the mower, that happens a lot, I bet, all day long. And, you know, once it gets in there, you just can't get it out, can you? It's just always there. And it's always an annoying song, isn't it? Or you only know, like, three words of the song, so you can't even sing the whole thing. I, when I was in college, I lived in a dormitory the first year, the first semester, right across the hall from this guy that... Wanted the world to think he was a great guitarist. He knew the first three or four licks out of everything that the Rolling Stones had ever done, but that was all he ever knew. He never finished a song. And that's the way those annoying songs are. Have you ever tried to sing around with someone? You know, some of you are probably pretty good at that, you know. It's hard to shut off what someone else is singing and sing something that's a little different or at a different pace, isn't it? It gets into your head. The, the mind plays these tricks with us. Row, row, row your boat, not to give you one of those annoying songs to think about. I've already done it, haven't I? You know, life and society, our culture, all constantly influences this way. They're constantly imparting their songs into us, into our minds, into our hearts, into our dispositions, into our expectations. 
They press us to sing their songs. Let me give you an example. Did you know you deserve a break today? Who says that? McDonald's. <laughs> oh, I wish I was an Oscar Mayer Wiener. Some of you are dating yourself now. I don't know that that one's been out there in a while. Like a good neighbor. This is the place where the helpful hardware man is. Uh-huh. What about those baby back, baby back, baby back ribs? <laughs> or who's on your side? <laughs> Nationwide, okay. And we could do this all day, couldn't we? We could do this all day. These songs are constantly bombarding us. Some of them are obvious, like advertising commercial jingles and mottos. And then there are others that hit us day by day. You know, none of us will ever be able to get the song of COVID out of our minds, will we? COVID-19 and all of its children, the variants, are coming to a theater near you. Are you vaccinated, not vaccinated, wear a mask, no mask? It's gone on and on and on, hasn't it? In fact, some people are going to be playing these the rest of their lives. They are controlled by them. Just walk into a store unmasked and see. Roe v. Wade is climbing the charts again. Thanks to Texas. No one wants to work these days. Yet everybody's hiring. The one I'm hearing the most now that's hitting my, hitting my uh, radar almost on a daily basis is the housing bubble. The housing bubble. It's coming. There's entitlements, pleasure, fame, fortune, the celebrity culture that we live in. Instagram. Twitter. Oh, what I would give never to have heard those songs. There's anxiousness pervading upon those in our culture. Hopelessness, dissatisfaction, anger, distrust, and much of it coming because of the songs that are being sung over us and to us continually. As Christ followers, we need to be aware of society's songs. The world encourages fickleness and submission to circumstances. The enemy uses these songs to breed discontentment. Envy. They cause us to lose hope. They cause us to feel like we're missing out on something. Right? Things hit the social media and you kind of get in after the fact and you're thinking, I missed it. What did I miss? We can become dissatisfied with following Christ if we're not careful. We can give up on running this race with Christ if we're not careful. And it can happen before you know it. You start associating with things that erode your trust in God. You start thinking that people who do not know or believe God is faithful. Suddenly you're singing songs of emptiness and misery. So how do you get rid of these annoying songs in your head? Tell them to stop. 
Try that. Try that. I command you to stop. It's like sitting there and telling the waves not to come in or the tide to come in, right? They're coming in spite of everything you say. You can't just wish it away. The mind and the heart are funny this way. No matter how hard you try, that song just keeps playing over and over and over. Especially at night when everything's quiet. You have to start singing another song. A different song. You have to replace that song with the right song. With a good song. That's what David, I think, is advocating here. His world is filled with enemies. With threats. With disappointments. With failures. Painful songs play endlessly in his heart and mind. Enemies everywhere. David says we need to sing a different song, a better song, a hopeful song. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. My heart is steadfast. It is established. It is fixed. It is not fickle. This is the opposite of being fickle. Or being easily molded into something else. Established. Rooted. Strong. You know, when you're down in the head, the whole body follows the lead, doesn't it? If your thinking is down, your body will follow you. It'll begin to mope around, won't it? Your heart starts to feel that way. What the heart feels, the body reflects. David says, I will sing and make melody with all my being. With all my being. Are you one of those people, you're driving down the road, the radio's on, starts playing one of those songs that, you know, you associate to years ago, one that you really like, that you start tapping the steering wheel or patting your foot, not the gas pedal now. Or you body start moving. I, I love to watch people. And I... It's funny how things change. You know, years ago, I'd tune in and watch a ball game because I wanted to watch the competition on the field. Now I find myself wanting to watch the behavior in the stands and how it is manipulated. The people, the master people up there in the stadium, somewhere in one of those little dark rooms, putting the songs coming across the speakers. And they, make, they control the people like a puppeteer. Whatever they play the people will reflect. They play the school fight song, they all get revved up, right? They play the alma mater at the end and they all get somber and teary-eyed. You watch the fans at the ball game, they will tell you without seeing or listening to anything on the field exactly what's happening, right? Right? The body follows the mind and the heart. David says, I will awake the dawn. I will awake the dawn. I'm going to sing this song. My whole body is engaged in it. I feel this song. I'm going to awake the dawn. That's an interesting statement. I'm a morning person. Love the early morning, the quiet, the solitude. Before everything starts moving. 
Sometimes I feel a little resentful of others that kind of crowd in on that time, you know? Traffic starts earlier and earlier. You don't get that quiet drive into work. After the rain moved through last week, I happened to, I don't normally do this, but I just happened to check the weather and I saw where it was going to get into the 50s this weekend on the, at night. I got all excited. You know why? Friday morning was going to be crisp and cool and clear. I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. I woke up early just like always. It's still dark outside. I got up. It's like Christmas morning. I went to get the phone to see what time is it. Is the dawn almost here? Because when the dawn gets here, I can get my coffee, my sweatshirt, my cap, and my Bible and go to the patio and sit out there and enjoy the morning. Guess what? It was 323. <laughs> the dawn wasn't up yet. But I wanted to yell and scream at the dawn, Hey, let's get up. I'm ready. But I had to wait two more hours, and then it was only 523, and the dawn still wasn't up. I know what David's talking about here. He said, this new song, the song in God, it energizes me and it lifts me up in joy and gladness. And I want all creation to awake and enjoy it with me. What a way to begin the day. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, he says. Centered on the true God, we cannot help but feel grateful. When you focus on this world, you're made to feel ungrateful. I was talking, you know, you get envious. You're made to feel like you're missing out on something. You want more. It doesn't matter what you have. You just want more. This is what the world does. This is advertising 101. Creating dissatisfaction in us. This is what the world does, what the enemy does. We begin obsessing over circumstances, over injustices, over problems, and we become ungrateful. We become complainers. We become whiners. We become slanderers and covetors, and we dive and dig into a deeper hole, finding all the reasons to be unhappy, to be distrustful, to be discontent. Well, that sounds good, preacher, but it's just not that easy. I don't know that I see a valid reason for changing my song. Listen, an honest conversation with yourself is not only helpful, it's mandatory. Thinking about why you think the way you do. The pursuits of this world are going to lead you only to greater dissatisfaction. Change the song. Pursue God, the psalmist writes. My heart be steadfast in God. Why should we change our song? Well, it's because God is worthy of our singing. God is worthy of our singing. Notice what He says. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God's love is unchanging. It's rock solid. It's not fickle. It's not like the world that's ever-changing. His love, His faithfulness are unchanging. They're rock-solid no matter what. And notice how big they are. 
You've seen those shirts. I guess they're still around. I remember when my girls were small, they used to have these cute little shirts that you could buy for your little people that said, I love you this much. You still got those? And they throw their arms, they got their arms out like this. Well, look what God says. God says, look at all of the vastness of creation from one end of the galaxy to the other. And he says, my love exceeds this for you. My love stretches beyond the heavens, beyond creation. It can't be measured. In Psalm 136, he gives us that constant refrain, My love is steadfast forever. Steadfast forever. For his love is steadfast, unending, rock solid, beyond anything you can measure or comprehend your faithfulness reaches to the clouds his loyalty his trustworthiness go hand in hand with his love it goes on and on and on beyond anything we can imagine lamentations 3 22 and 23 says it's new his faithfulness is new his compassions are new each and every day no matter what we're facing 2 Timothy 2.13, he says, If we are faithless, and we are, He is always what? Faithful. Always faithful. It's who He is. Numbers 23.19, God is not man that He should lie, or a sort of man that He should change His mind. Has He said, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will He not fulfill it? He's always faithful. Steadfast love, faithfulness that endures infinitely. May everyone everywhere see your glory, he says. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let your glory reflect, display, so that everyone sees it. The things that hold our attention in this world are low and inferior to God. Show your incredible glory through me, through us. Deliver, save us by your holy, mighty hand. Answer our prayers. He is already worthy without doing anything for us. And David sings about why his confidence is well-placed in God. God has demonstrated that He is trustworthy always. His might and His power are superior to all challengers. He has made plans. God has promised in His holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. He's pointing to two prominent points in Israel's historical background that remind us of God's promise. Abraham's associated here, where God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm giving you this land. God has plans. He has purposes. And they're perfect. They're perfect in every way. He chooses people for Himself and is committed to them. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter when you're God's possession 
There's no threats to change that. Nothing can change it or upset it. No enemy is strong enough to pry you from his grip. He has prerogatives. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. These were typical traditional enemies for God's people. God says they're enemies in, in a slightly a slighted view. They're not actual enemies because I overcome them. I'm simply man, I'm maneuvering them and using them to accomplish my plans and purposes. Don't be, don't be misled by thinking that they are gathering any steam or momentum here in and of themselves. And he says, who will bring me? Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? This points to that impregnable city called Petra. This is where the, <clears throat> the Edomites gathered. I've been to Petra, and Petra, to get to the city, you have to actually go through rock. There's a narrow passageway that leads through this rock. This city... Was, was so well strategically placed <clears throat> that it could be defended by just a few, by a handful of people. Uh, a large army couldn't get through there except coming almost in, you know, single file, small numbers. And you could place yourself strategically along that entryway and pick them off, just like shooting ducks in a, in a barrel, right? Fish in a barrel, whatever it is. <clears throat> This city was placed where it was kind of hidden. It was, off, it was off from the normal passageways where people could come through. And the, uh, <clears throat> it was as well stationed to survive an enemy attack as, as anywhere. So he's saying, in me, Lord, would you place me? Would you give me that fortress, that, that protection from the enemy? Who does that? Only God can provide that. Only God does that in our lives. Who will give me this sort of protection against my enemies? And he moves into this third thought, which is, with God we shall do valiantly. With God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down your foes. Valiantly just means to go with courage, with determination, with an expectation and a promise to win, to gain victory. We shall do valiantly. How? With God. How can you be faithful when everything works against you? How can you hold to your convictions when the world mocks you? How can you endure troubles and difficulties in your marriage? How can you reject unhealthy coping mechanisms that the world offers? How can you speak out for Christ when the world despises Him? How can you teach your children to follow Christ when the world says that is unacceptable and labels them losers? He says, with God we shall do valiantly. Not on your own, not with more expertise. He doesn't even say with greater faith. 
He says, with God, we can do... Is that, we can? We can? We will. We shall do valiantly. In Christ. It is in Him that we find and know safety, security, strength. This valiant progress forward. Advancing His kingdom. One of the best pictures of this in all of Scripture is Noah and the ark, isn't it? Noah spent a long, long time building this massive boat. For something he wasn't even sure what it was. A flood was coming. Judgment was coming. And when it came time for the judgment to come, what did God instruct him to do? He said, you know, Noah, it's going to rain. It's going to rain like you've never seen it rain before. And it's going to flood the earth. The waters are going to rise. And everything in its path is going to be destroyed. People will drown. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to work out. I want you to get your cardiovascular up. I want you to strengthen those arms because you're going to be swimming for a long time. Is that what he told him? No. He didn't expect Noah to swim and to keep himself afloat during the flood. He didn't ask Noah to come alongside the ark and help keep the ark up so that everything could be spared. He didn't even ask him to hang on to the side of the ark and hold on through the storm. He told him to go in the ark. He went in the ark and God closed the door behind him. He rested in the ark when the floodwaters rose. The ark rose on top of the floodwaters and Noah was on the inside of the ark, resting in the ark. Now this is a picture of us entering into Christ. We enter in through faith. Through what He has done and accomplished. He and He alone rises above the judgment. He and He alone rises above all of these things that come against us. Only He can give the victory. And we get the victory. We do valiantly in Him. This is what He's saying. He has finished the work. The nails have been secured. The pitch or the blood has been applied. He is guaranteed to overcome the judgment, the suffering, the rejection. In Him we find and know safety, security, strength, victory. He is our Petra. With God, no, we can't do valiantly. We shall do valiantly all the way to victory the winds may howl the storms may shake the ground the waters may rise but Christ is one and we shall do valiantly in him so let me ask you are you in Christ today the judgment is sure to come the scripture tells us that it's coming the question is, what are you counting on to weather the storm, to weather the judgment? Are you counting on your good deeds, your morality, your church membership, your family name? 
your intelligence, your education, your money? What are you counting on to weather that? If it's anything other than Christ, you're doomed to fail. You're doomed to be judged by God. Only by putting your trust in Christ's finished work will you gain the victory. How about those of you that are trusting in Christ today? You're a professed follower of Christ. How are you doing? Are you doing valiantly? Did you describe your life daily as doing valiantly in Him, with Him? Or would you be hard-pressed? If you were to watch a movie of your life, would you be hard-pressed to see yourself being with Christ and doing valiantly? This is the promise He offers us. The world effectively, effectively penetrates our minds, our hearts, our lives with its songs. Its songs of disbelief, its songs of misery, its songs of discontentedness, dissatisfaction. We need to change our songs. We change our songs, trusting in Him, because God is worthy of our praises and our adoration, that we might do valiantly with Him. And Father, we're grateful, thankful for Your grace, for Your mercy, for Your love, for this promise that we have, that in You, Lord, there's nothing too difficult, too great for us to endure in this world. You bring us through all of the suffering, all the difficulty. You and only You. I pray this morning that, Lord, You might change the songs in our hearts and minds. That You might teach us to sing this new song, putting our hope, our hearts resting on your steadfast love and faithfulness. And that through our lives you might be honored, that you might be glorified, that others might be drawn to you. Make us a valiant people. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.